The following message was given at Trinity Bible Church in Powell, Wyoming. Let's continue to worship our great God by hearing from His Word. I invite you to open to the book of Leviticus, to Leviticus chapter 23. We have been considering specifically verse 3 the last four Sundays, kind of a sermon, four sermons on one verse. And that's because of the day that we live in, where the fourth commandment, uh, remember the Sabbath to keep it holy, one of God's Ten Commandments has been set aside. Our culture, our world teaches us that that's okay. And even some segments of Christian circles teach us that's okay. You can go ahead and scratch out one of God's commandments and you don't need to obey God in this. And we really need to consider, well, if that's so, then it needs to come from God's word if he says, don't keep this anymore. But if God expects us to still keep it, and on the authority of men, we say, well, we don't need to, then we're disobeying God. Or on the authority of, you know, it actually matches my lifestyle. I don't want to. I don't want to give anything up. You know, I, I know I just got done singing that song. I surrender all. I don't really mean it. Um, I don't want to be called to anything difficult. And if I can find an excuse, if I can find somebody that says yes, it's okay. You don't need to keep this commandment. And you can kind of do what you want. And um, also, you know, I, I've been kind of feeling legal uh, under a legal spirit. I've been taught a lot of legalism. I really don't like hearing law. And this, you know, I've never really heard this before. And so I don't want to keep this on that account. There's a lot of different thoughts that go into our head. And the question is, what is false? And what is true? And so we've been trying to look at God's word as what is true, because that is our authority. So Leviticus 23, beginning in verse 3 and ending in verse 3 where it says, Six days shall work be done, but on the seventh day is a Sabbath of solemn rest, a holy convocation, that is the, the gathering, the congregation. You shall do no work. It is a Sabbath to the Lord in all your dwelling places. And this concludes the reading of God's holy word. And he now be pleased that his blessing to it. Well, as I said, we are finishing up what has been several sermons on the fourth commandment on keeping the Sabbath. We started by seeing that this commandment is perpetual. It was one of the commandments of the tablets of stone that was handed uh, to the Israelites. The ceremonial laws were not etched on, that, on those tablets of stone, but the fourth commandment among the other nine were etched on that stone. Not only that, it is not a Jewish thing only. It goes back to creation. Before there were Jews, before there was Moses, before there was sin, we saw God calling creation to set aside one day in seven as holy unto Him as a holy Rest. And then we address objections to keeping this commandment. Because while man can't say 
don't worry, you have more authority than God, you can override God in this and disobey him. Uh, but if God tells us in his word, then that obviously uh, is where we don't need to keep it. And we looked at a couple of passages that seem to suggest that perhaps we don't keep it anymore. We looked at Colossians 2.16, which says, uh, see to it that no one judges you with regards to uh, Sabbath day. But we saw that that was a Jewish context. and We saw that it, it says in the Greek text, new moon and Sabbaths, plural, which is an exact phrase that comes from the Old Testament, referring specifically to the Jewish Sabbaths that were added on to the Sabbath day. They had multiple Sabbaths, but the Sabbath day itself is not inherently Jewish. It goes all the way back to creation. And we also saw Romans 14.5, which uh, seems to suggest on the, service, uh, on the surface that uh, we don't need to keep the fourth commandment because every day is uh, really uh, the, the same. But we saw that that specifically in the context Paul's referring to those who still want to keep these Jewish uh, uh, laws, this old covenant law. And we saw that uh, if we don't consider the context, we can end up misinterpreting even when Paul says, uh, you know, don't judge one another. And then you turn to another of his letters, 1 Corinthians 5, and it says, are you not to judge those who are in the church? And so context is what we need to look at. And we saw that Paul was specifically referring to those who still wanted to do some of the Jewish things, like not eat meat and so forth and so on, not to violate people's consciences. But that Paul was not saying it's okay to set aside God's moral law. And then we considered why the day changed from the last day to the first day of the week in order to symbolize that we have entered the new creation, the life of the world to come, the life that comes after this creation, symbolized by the eighth day, uh, the day after the seven days of creation week, uh, which then is the first day of the week, and also signify our salvation. At the beginning of the world, with that covenant given to Adam, he had to work before he could enter God's rest. And so he would work first, and then the last day of the week, rest. Now that Christ has come and fulfilled the work that the first Adam failed in, we first rest in Christ before we work. And so we start off the week resting and then working. And then we saw last week how this is a day set aside uh, for the assembly. Uh, as we were talking about in Sunday school, all of life is worship. Whatever we do, we are to do all to the glory of God. But there is such a thing called sacred worship. It's specific. And that's where we see in Leviticus 23 that it's the day of the convocation, the day of the assembly, where Christ meets with his people by his spirit in a special way. We saw that even in John 20, where Jesus appeared to his disciples, not every day after his resurrection, where he just stayed with them the entire time, but only on the first day of the week. And John is very careful to highlight that, and that's the pattern for how he interacts with us now. And so to forsake this day really is to forsake God's commandments. And it's really not loving towards your brothers and sisters. 
we have a consumer mentality. I can just sit at home and, and watch it on the, the, the screen. Um, but you're commanded to admonish and teach one another in psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs to sing to one another. How do you do that when you're sitting at home? It's really a, a selfish, consumeristic mindset uh, where it's about you rather than about serving and loving one another. Well, today's focus is on how we keep the Sabbath, what we can't or can do on this day. If you say, okay, I see, yes, that is a fourth, I do see the fourth commandment is perpetual, and it does seem strange to just scratch that out and to, to, to say, well, there's only nine commandments, and it's a serious thing to disobey God, and you know, I see what you're saying. I think, you know, it is a commandment. Then the question is, what can or can't we do on this day? And often people want a list or they want their specific question answered. I have this one specific thing in mind and I want you to answer it. Well, this sermon is not a question and answer session and I'm not going to give you a list. But I do want to frame our discussion differently than what can or can't I do. Give me a list. And this is going to be familiar to some of you uh, who have heard this before. but. This is how I want to frame it. Uh, let's say, you know, ladies, you want to go on a date night with your husband or, you know, your 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 fiance, your loved one, and your husband or loved one says, "Yeah, I guess you're right. We should do that." Um, yeah, yeah, okay, yeah, I'll do it. Um, but then he says, "Well, okay, but on this date, what can't or can I do?" Um, am I allowed to watch the big game on TV at a restaurant? We're going to go to, to you know, the, this restaurant because the big game is on. Um, can I bring my laptop? You know, I got some work to get done. I'll do it between dinner and, and dessert. Um, how much am I allowed to be on my phone? You know, give me that list here. Uh, it, or if during the date he says, yeah, you know, um, I got a lot to do. Uh, you know, I, I got... There's this activity that I really, really, really want to do. Um, so, uh, you know, uh, how long do you want to stick around here? Or uh, he really wasn't prepared. You're like, hey, you know, dinner's at 530. Oh, oh okay. Uh, you know, I still got, you know, grime all over. I'll just, I'll just wear this shirt, I guess. Um, and then he, he keeps falling asleep during the date. How, ladies, how would you think about that? Why would you expect him to act differently? And if he told him, no, I don't want you doing, you know, these things. I don't want you being on your phone. And, you know, while we're spending time together, he responds with, well, you're just so legalistic. You're so restrictive. Would you see that as an appropriate response? Why would you expect that out of him? Well, just as this... The nature of the date is to spend special time together, to focus on one another. The Lord's Day is the day that we get to spend special time with the Lord. Would you ever complain about spending uninterrupted time in the thing you love most? A hobby, an activity, a person. If someone were to say to you, you get to set aside the whole day to go hunting, fishing, or spending time with your fiancé or your best friend from out of town, would you say, 
oh, what a burden. Really? I get to do that? No, of course not. Well, what should you love more than any of these things? You should love God more than any of these things. And the Sabbath is therefore a gift that He has given to us so that we get to spend this time with the One whom our soul is to love and who loves us. One author put it well when he said, On the Sabbath, God allows us to visit heaven and return to this world with the glory of His presence shining on our face. It is a true taste of heaven. Because what is heaven about? Heaven is about spending uninterrupted time worshiping God. As Puritan John Owen said, He to whom the worship of God in Christ is a burden or a bondage, who thinks a day in a week to be too much or too long to be with God in His especial service, alas, what would such a person do if they should ever come to heaven? To be taken aside to all of eternity, setting aside this world to be with God alone, who thinks it a great bondage to be here diverted unto Him for a day. If heaven is about setting aside this world for all of eternity to worship God, then this day should be a delight and not a burden. But our flesh is strong, isn't it? We realize that we love this world more than we would like to admit. Well, observing this day actually then helps us to grow and desire in our love for the Lord. Isaiah 58, 13 and 14 says, If you turn your back, or if you turn your back, your foot, or if you turn back your foot from the Sabbath, I'll get it right, from doing your pleasure on my holy day, and call the Sabbath a delight, and the holy day of the Lord honorable. If you honor it, not going your own ways or seeking your own pleasure or talking idly, then you shall take delight in the Lord. Notice that God says, if you honor my day, then you will take delight in me. Our delight will grow in the Lord. Just as spending that special time uh, with our loved one on a date stokes the, 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 the flames uh, in desire for that person. So does the Lord's Day for our Lord. Oftentimes we think very privately because of the influence of our culture. But the Word of God uh, makes clear that this day, setting aside this day and Attending to the Holy Convocation is how we grow primarily in our delight of the Lord. So how I want to frame uh, the rest of the sermon is by looking at two great privileges, the things we get to do. Two wonderful privileges of the Sabbath day. The first is freedom to rest. The second is freedom to worship to answer some of the questions here that we may have. The main principle here. Okay, the main principle to run everything through is this. Is what I am doing best serving the principles or the purposes of the Lord's Day? As we saw in Isaiah 58. 
to set aside things to grow in our delight for the Lord? Uh, do we turn from doing our pleasure, our business on His day, just going about our business like any other ordinary day? Do we set that aside so that we may grow in our love and delight of the Lord? That is the purpose of the Lord's day, to be refreshed with His glory, to grow in our delight of Him. So first we see freedom uh, to rest. Again, in Leviticus 23.3, it calls us to a solemn rest. And that's exactly what Sabbath means. It's the Hebrew word that means to rest, to cease, to pause. But the Sabbath is not a rest from absolutely everything where we just stay in bed all day. Sometimes people get confused because they hear that they are called to rest, but it can be a lot of work just to get the kids out the door or on a potluck Sunday. But what the Lord is calling us to is a certain kind of rest, to delight in God, a holy or solemn rest, as our verse says. First, we rest from our ordinary, legitimate labors that we do the other six days. Labor work is one of those things that the Lord has given us that is a good gift from God. It's part of a creation ordinance. We work. We labor. But the Lord calls us to set aside those labors on His holy day. Uh, one of the reasons we do this is because the way God has made us as dependent, finite creatures. We need rest. We can't just keep going on and on and on and on without rest. Uh, to do so has actually been proven to be bad for our health physically and mentally. And I think one of the reasons why our current culture has the highest level of anxiety I think ever known to man is because we are so busy. It is all about do, 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 do. Do as much as you can. The idea of rest is really foreign to us. But God, as part of the fabric and rhythm of creation, is, set, is called us to set aside one day in seven so that we can rest. But as I said, this does not mean doing absolutely nothing. There are two types of works that are lawful on the Sabbath. Works of necessity and then works of mercy, which is what our uh, confession says in chapter 22, paragraph 8. A work of necessity, pretty much self-explanatory. It is something that's necessary. Our confession cites Matthew 12, where the Pharisees confronted Jesus about his disciples plucking heads of grain to eat on uh, the Sabbath. I mean, they were extreme. They were really legalistic in this. You can't even eat. But Jesus pointed out to, the, to these Pharisees, uh, David taking the holy showbread of the temple, which was not lawful to eat. That, that holy showbread in the temple, you ate it, you're dead. It, it was sacred. But why did David not die by taking that showbread? Well, what Jesus is referring to is in the Old Testament there, David and his men were hungry. There was no other food. And so because it was necessary, they could take that sacred thing and use it then for ordinary purposes. Well, that's the same thing with the sacred day, the Sabbath. 
It's not consecrated if there is work done that is necessary. So there are some vocations and jobs that are necessary. Hospitals, you have doctors, you have paramedics, you have uh, firefighters and, and police officers. Uh, two out of our three kids were born on Sunday. Try planning that. And it happened when uh, being, a, being a pastor. And for some reason, when my wife started to go into labor, by me quoting, Thou shalt do no labor on the Sabbath, it didn't work. So we ended up in the hospital, and the doctors worked, and my wife did a lot of labor. If it snowed, uh, we, we shovel the, the walkway uh, to the, the church building. Or we bring food for a fellowship meal. We set up tables. We turn them down. We clean up afterwards. Uh, we get the baptismal ready if there is a baptism. Uh, working in the sound booth. Playing music. Uh, these are works. Uh, the Lord's Day is my busiest day by far. But it's a great encouragement nevertheless to my soul. Then there are other works of necessity. Changing diapers. If you are serving in the nursery and one of the kids needs their diaper changed, you can't use the Sabbath as an excuse not to change the diaper. Well, I can't labor on the Sabbath. I, I still think there should be uh, one of the, the verses in the nursery is uh, regarding the kids. We shall not sleep. We shall all be changed. From 1 Corinthians 15. It'd be nice to see that up in the nursery, of course. I don't work in the nursery, so my wife probably wouldn't appreciate that. But kids spill food, uh, kids spill their drink. You know, we go mop it up and clean up after dinner. But if it becomes a cleaning day, like, hey, I got some spring cleaning to do, I'm going to, you know, get up on that roof, I'm going to uh, just spend all day cleaning, it's a cleaning day, then it becomes a violation of the Sabbath. It's not necessary. But then there's things that are. Now part of the temptation may be that we have taken on so many responsibilities without due consideration of this day that we feel like we have to work on this day because we have not factored into the things that we've committed to this day. The Lord calls us to set it aside. But actually, working nonstop without a rest will hinder you. I still remember uh, when I first started uh, seminary, I did not uh, hold to the fourth commandment. Uh, I did not hold to um, keeping the Sabbath day. And seminary was rather difficult. It was academically rigorous. It was part of a graduate level program. And I'm not very academic. I'm, I struggle to, to have to think through things. And so it was a lot of work. And I felt like I really had to spend the whole day on Sunday trying to get caught up. Now, at my particular seminary, they, they uh, held to the fourth commandment. And so we didn't have any classes on Monday so that you wouldn't have to worry about working on Sunday and getting prepared for a test or any sort of work. But when I came to these convictions that there are actually ten commandments, not just nine, 
uh, I stopped my studies on Sunday, even though it was a temptation just to keep going because I felt overwhelmed by the workload. Would I even get it done? But what surprised me was that I actually got more accomplished by taking a day off than if I just kept going because of the recharge I got. It's as if our Creator's wise. <laughs> He's wiser than us. And then there are works of mercy. The biblical example of this is Jesus healing a man's hand on the Sabbath day. Uh, this man's hand was withered. He wasn't dying from a withered hand. It wasn't uh, life-saving measures. But nevertheless, Jesus still healed his hand on that day because Jesus said, of course it's good to do to, of course, it's good to do good on the Sabbath. Of course, it's lawful to do good on Sabbath. You are on your way to church, and you notice somebody is in the ditch, and you take time to pull them out. That is a legitimate use of this day, even if you end up being late for, for church and missing part of the service, because it's a work of mercy. And we're also to prepare ourselves for this day. We shouldn't be staying up intentionally past midnight and then coming tired. I know sometimes people just struggle in their sleep and they can't help it. But to say, hey, I'm going to stay up until 2 in the morning or whatever and uh, then be utterly tired the next day is not properly honoring uh, the Sabbath. So when thinking through work, these are the things to think through. Is it necessary? Can it really not wait until the next day? Is it part of my ordinary vocation in gainful employment? Uh, did I overcommit and need? Uh, do I need to adjust my lifestyle to factor in the Lord's Day? Is it a work that helps with serving the purposes of the Lord's Day? Of setting up and taking down for, for worship? Uh, is it a work of mercy to help someone who's in need? Now, what about restful activities? I think this is where people really want to know. Uh, can I go on a bicycle ride? Can I go on a walk? Well, if these serve the purposes of the Lord's Day, then yes, they are legitimate. So if they're used to, to, to meditate on the Lord, dwell in His glory, consider the sermon or, or the public reading of Scripture, or any other scripture, then these are legitimate. It's time to clear your mind. Be refreshed. I think that's why even a nap is a legitimate, legitimate use, even though some of the Puritans would disagree with that. If it's doing recreation for recreation's sake, it's like, okay, it's just about the activity. Come on, we we got, we got to do this activity on this day. It's about the activity um, without regard for the Lord. Okay, kids, hurry up, get ready. We we need to we've been planning on this. Versus, hey, it's a nice day outside. Uh, let's go to the park in between services and just relax. That's the difference when it comes to observing the Lord's Day. Or if it's come on, Johnny, grab your bat and your soccer ball. Uh, we got to get some practice in for the big game this week. Versus, hey, let's. Stand up and toss the ball around. Maybe it's a good opportunity to talk about the sermon, to build, continue to build a good relationship with the kids. Uh, I, I hope you're getting the point 
here. Really, it is about your attitude rather than a list. Again, you understand when you go on a date what's appropriate and what's not. Now, you get that. Well, the same applies for uh, the Lord's Day because He does call us to set aside these things and to be refreshed by Him. So on the Sabbath day, we have the freedom to rest physically. And our wise Creator calls us to do just that. The second wonderful privilege for the Sabbath day is freedom to worship. And this gets to our spiritual rest, the replenishment of our souls. The first point was really about bodily rest. But we are both body and soul. And the Lord's Day is where we get replenishment for our soul to rest in the Lord. This is why the Puritans called this day the market day of the soul. Back then, the market day was the day that they chose to really stock up on all their goods. And we have something similar here, actually. It's going to Billings. It's that big day where we go to Costco and make a day of it. Well, the Sabbath is the market day for the soul. To get the soul replenished, refreshed, stocked up on the goodness of God for the rest of the week. You know, we talk a lot about, uh, you know, I want to worship God all week long. Well, really, this day helps us with that. Setting aside this day to be replenished in our souls with the goodness of God. We set aside this world to get a break from this world, to get our soul refreshed in the glory of God where He revives us. This day, right now, we are having a revival. This very moment, it's a revival. But we trust that God is working through ordinary means, which we believe by faith, rather than seeing something extraordinary that we perceive by sight. We trust that God is working through His Word even now, as Psalm 85, 6 says, Will you not revive us again, that your people may rejoice in you? This is what this day is about, to be revived in the Lord. We trust that our wise Creator is working through ordinary means to do just that. Just like in the book of, of Numbers. You remember the people were bitten by snakes and they were dying. And what did God tell them to do? Look, look at this, this bronze serpent lifted up on this staff, and you will live. I want you to think about how foolish that would have sounded. What? That's it? Just look at this metal on this stick lifted up? No, no, there has to be something grander and more extraordinary than that. I mean, this, this is just foolish means. The world regards the means of God as foolishness. The preaching of the gospel is word foolishness but it's the wisdom of God. And that's the way we are to view the ordinary means on His day. The Lord's Day is the day of public worship, the Holy Convocation. As we saw last week, our Baptist Catechism says that we observe the Sabbath by hearing the Word diligently, practicing the Gospel sacraments, baptism and Lord's Supper, zealously, doing deeds of charity, charity conscionably. All of this is to give us a break from this world and give us that taste 
of heaven where Christ meets with us. As Paul says in 2 Corinthians 4, it is through the preaching of Christ that we behold the glory of God in the face of Christ. And our face reflects then His glory. Consider our meeting. Where else do you find that there, at the starting point is a call to worship? Where God calls us into His presence. He's welcoming us in. And He's uh, implying to the unbeliever that you can be reconciled to Me. That you can worship Me if you turn from your sin and trust in Christ. And then, not only does He greet us with His peace, He also sends sends us away and dismisses us with His peace. And then He preaches His peace to us from His Word. We hear again, as those disciples heard when He first met with them after His resurrection, peace be with you, which implies that all our sins have been forgiven because of His shed blood and because of His broken body, where He does show us His crucified body in the Lord's Supper. We have a picture of that. His death is proclaimed when we partake in that. We call out to Him in prayer. Prayer is only a burden if we don't think that God hears us, or that it's a waste of time. We are coming before the King who hears us, who cares about our prayers, and who does answer. All of this is what happens on the Lord's Day. Once again, hearing the announcement that the, of the good news that our enemies have been conquered, sin, death, and the devil, that they have been cast into the heart of the sea, just as the Israelites saw those Egyptians floating in the sea, so that's what's happened with our sins. Uh, they, they are dead to us. Our enemies have been defeated. And we are victorious in the Lord. And this is visibly portrayed to us both in baptism and the Lord's Supper. We are left then with God's smile in the benediction where He sets His name upon us, where He reminds us of our identity. And we leave with His blessing. To the naked eye, this does not seem impressive. And that's why we want more. We want something extraordinary. We want something that really I can see by sight so that I may believe. But to the eye of faith, when we understand what these things are about, based on His Word, we know that God is working through these means even if we don't feel it or perceive it. Many of you know uh, Pastor Matt Davis. He's a great friend of mine, pastor in Helena. Late one night, he texts me about midnight on Sunday morning. Saturday night into Sunday morning, he said, please pray for me. My son John is having emergency surgery in the hospital to get his appendix out. And then he texts early again in the morning to let me know, hey, it went well. Uh, the surgery was a success. Praise be to God. Later on that evening, I followed up with him and said, hey, who preached for you, by the way, that morning? Because think about it, you took your son to the hospital, you're up all night, and 
then you stay with him in the morning. And he said, well, I did. And my first response is, are you crazy? To which the answer is yes. But he responded to me, you know, honestly, I would have been there anyway. Now, he did have a legitimate excuse. It's being providentially hindered. We, uh, when we're providentially hindered, when we're sick or an emergency comes up, uh, it is legitimate to, to miss. But he goes, honestly, I would have been there even if someone else was preaching. Because, and, and I won't forget this, I wrote it down. I need the means of grace. I am desperate for the means of grace on the Lord's day. There's no replacement for it. It's just the way we think. It's what the Bible teaches. With the, with the influence of pietism, the philosophy we've been taught is it's the private where you primarily grow. While the private, being in prayer, meditating on the Word, reading of Scripture, is how God does build us up in the faith and give us grace. Yet God has ordained and orchestrated and commanded this. It's the primary way that we are built up in the faith, a conviction that our brothers and sisters have had universally, really throughout church history. Are you comfortable and even glad to get a break from church to get more of this world? Or, or to set up more doing your own will, and your own pleasure, that your will is strong and you want to do that? Or are you grieved that though you are providentially hindered, that you cannot, when you cannot make it here, like Mrs. Harder, she's grieved that she can't be here. She would love to be here, but she has been hindered from being with us. Do you see how desperate you are for the means of grace in the Lord's day? I think sometimes God even lets us struggle with sin to show us you really are not as righteous as you think you are. You really are not as sufficient as you think you are. Do you see the greatness of your sin and misery and know that you need God's Word and you need grace? Do you long for God to speak to you? Do you long for the pure milk of the Word? Do you love His people and long to be with them? Do you desire to hear again the Gospel of peace declared to you that your sins are forgiven, that Christ's atonement was sufficient to forever remove your sins, that He is now pleased with you, you who are in Christ, that you are covered with His righteousness? That you don't come here to hear some new grand thing, but even the same old thing. Because you know that you are weak, and you struggle to believe, and you can always pray, Lord, I believe, but help my unbelief. How does he answer that prayer? How did he help doubting Thomas? Give him a private revelation? Or did he appear to him on the first day of the week? And say, here's my body, what He does in the Lord's Supper. Those of us who have been given taste buds for the world to come and who long to draw near to God and know our desperate need, long for this day. Pant 
after this day just to get a taste of what is to come in eternity. So this day is a gift from God because God Himself calls us and gives us the freedom from this world to rest, to worship Him, to spend special time with the God whom our soul loves and who loves our soul. Amen. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we pray that you would please forgive us for our self-willed. We really follow our will more than we, we realize. We follow our own rationalizations more than we realize. We are often very proud. We have unteachable spirits. A lot of times we're driven by fear. Rather than a serious study of your word that's based on reading the Bible with the church. What have other believers believed from your word? And we do see that this is really a common belief and in even the fact that we still meet on the first day of the week, which is the rule rather than the exception for the last 2,000 years. It's, it's no coincidence. And so we, we do ask that you'd help us to be faithful that you would give us a humble and teachable heart and spirit, that we would not be driven by fear, but that we would be driven by a desire to surrender all, to follow Christ, to take up our cross, deny ourselves, to follow after Him, that you would help us to grow in our faithfulness, that you would help us to grow in our delight of you as we do gather together, as we do uh, follow your word, because that is where there is perfect wisdom. So help us, Lord. We ask this in Christ's name. Amen. You have been listening to a message from Trinity Bible Church in Powell, Wyoming. To receive more information about Trinity Bible Church or to support the ministry, go to tbcwyoming.com. That is tbcwyoming.com.